BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you, and and it's uh, it's Friday, but uh, it's and very often Congressman Pocan is with us on on Wednesday, but Friday's just as good, and it's midday, so it's midday with Mark. Congressman Mark Pocan on the line with us, representing the Second District of Wisconsin. Of course, he's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Um, you know, one of the top two progressives in, in Congress here in, in, in that caucus. And pocan.house.gov is the website. You can tweet him at rep, R-E-P, Mark Pocan. He will be with us for the hour taking your calls. So if you have a question for Congressman Pocan, give him a shout now. Congressman, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Uh, really glad to be here today. Great to have you with us. I'm, I'm broadcasting uh, live from Portland, Oregon. Where are you today? Um, I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, but uh, if I can, I couldn't be on Wednesday. I want to apologize because I was in uh, western Massachusetts. I did a town hall with uh, Jim McGovern in Northampton on Tuesday night. Uh, hundreds of people showed up, and i got to tell you, Tom, uh, you have a lot of listeners in western Massachusetts. Uh, people brought it up over and over as we had conversations throughout the evening. Oh, that's great to know. That's great. Um, so there's a lot going on in Congress right now, or a lot going on in general, I'm, and that I'm just really curious to hear your thoughts on. Um, Kim Jong-un uh, calling Donald Trump basically a, a, a dotard, I think is the word. Uh, it's kind of an anachronistic English word, but um, you know, means basically senile old man. And um, But he explicitly threatened fire against the United States. Trump is threatening to destroy North Korea. You've got Jimmy Carter coming out and saying, this is crazy. If I were president, I would, I would fly over to North Korea and meet with this guy and let's work this thing out. All he wants us to say is that we're not going to attack him unless he attacks us first, that this is all purely defensive on both sides. I'm curious your thoughts on that. I'm curious your thoughts on What's going on with this so-called, uh, you know, uh, Graham, Cassidy, Johnson, uh, uh, you know, whatever bill, uh, this uh, so-called repeal of Obamacare? It looks like it's going to be insanely destructive. And, and I've had a number of people call uh, uh, into this program over the days that we've been talking about it, saying that they have not been having problems getting through to their Republican members of the Senate, and uh, which was not the case Previously, they were slammed, but they're apparently not right now. And I, you know, I'm I'm thinking maybe this has to do with crappy coverage on the part of our media or something. But I, you know, how real is this? What are your thoughts on that? And what else is going on? Yeah, so you know, let me start with with the health care bill because I think um, it is very much a real proposal. I think they were doing this stealthily and planning this for a while. It's their last attempt. Uh, it's this Graham, Cassidy, Heller, Johnson bill, uh, which essentially uh, gets rid of the Affordable Care Act, but doesn't provide a replacement. I mean, it, it's going to block grant money to states, uh, but only until 2026, and then there's a cliff, and then there's nothing. Uh, it cuts Medicaid. It allows states to do things like get rid of uh, things like uh, requirements to cover people with pre-existing conditions and the other essential health benefits 
Uh, and you're going to see people, if you have a heart condition, your insurance will likely go up $50,000 a year uh, under this proposal. Uh, I think it's been estimated that one in two people might be living in states where they'll have these weakened provisions. And a place like Wisconsin with Scott Walker, you know, I think he was, if not the first, one of the first governors in the country previously to say he would consider uh, getting rid of pre-existing conditions as a requirement. And then he kind of realized that was a pretty bad, dumb thing to say. And he tried to then give a non-answer. Well, this is is real. This is going to the Senate. It has to be done by September 30th uh, in order to avoid the 60-vote rule to use this uh, reconciliation process to get 50 votes. And then it could go to the House, and it could be law by uh, this time potentially next week. So what I, I agree. I've tried to Google this to even find out what this is about because they're not waiting for a Congressional Budget Office score, which is pretty much unheard of on something this big. And it's hard to even find stories because it's complicated. I, I had a press conference yesterday here, and one reporter wrote the story up, and they, they referred to, instead of that we were going to have block grants going to states, they said that he was blocking grants going to states, and uh, they said $32 million could be lost. No, it's 32 million people could lose their coverage, but we don't know because they're not going to wait for a CBO score. So I'm really worried that this was a plan for quite a while and that they're now executing their plan to take away health insurance. I, I'm continually confounded by the arcane rules in the Senate. And I remember, you know, Bernie was doing this show when he had been in the House for years and, and, and when he moved over to the Senate. In the first year or so that he was on, people would call with Senate rules questions and he would, he would say, you know, I'm still trying to figure this stuff out. <laughs> it's, it's apparently uh, quite different from the rules that you guys have in the House. But I thought, and, and apparently I'm completely wrong on this, I thought that if you're going to pass a piece of legislation using reconciliation, that the uh, Byrd uh, Amendment rules for reconciliation, use of reconciliation, require that you demonstrate that you're not going to raise the, uh, the budget deficit after a decade or within a decade or both. Um, and I thought that that required a CBO score. Is it, are they getting around this by saying at the end of 10 years everything goes to zero, so obviously it's not going to add to the deficit, we're just going to end Medicaid? Is that, what, is that what's going on? Or are they going to slip in a CBO score after it goes through reconciliation with the House, or what? You know, your guess is as good as mine, Tom. That's the problem with this. The fact that um, they're not going to do a CBO score, that's pretty much unheard of, right? So we don't really know what we're voting on. Uh, Senator Johnson from Wisconsin was on um, Morning Joe earlier this week, and when they asked him questions, it was very clear he doesn't know what's in his bill, or he doesn't want people to know what's in his bill. Either way, I find it problematic that he's either ignorant of the bill or deceitful about the bill. But this is the process they're going on because they're so desperate to get this done because they still need to get this done so they can move on to tax reform. And, you know, I, I think people need to, to really be calling and, you know, going to rallies and doing whatever on this. I think this is really real. I think it was very strategically uh, held quiet. I think they had this bipartisan compromise with Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray going on, and all of a sudden it stopped. Uh, and when this started, uh, I think this might have been a plan for quite a while, and that means uh, they've got a little advantage on their side. We need to get ready and speak out really hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's time to be calling Congress. Um, we just have about a minute and a half before we're going to hit a break here, Congressman. What else is going on in Congress that people should be um, a, aware of, or B, calling the members of Congress and, and you know, citizen lobbying on? Sure. I, you know, I think two things, if I could mention. One, DACA still. I think we need to, you know, October 5th is a, uh, the new date again for signing in uh, up for the program. We need to make sure that we're getting this done by October 5th. So we're, Democrats are very, very invested in getting this done. And then second, one that doesn't get a lot of coverage, but, you know, Perkins Student Loans um, expires on September 30th, and it might, you know, uh, continue for a while without resolution. But, you know, there's a, a bipartisan bill I'm working uh, on right now with Representative Stefanik from New York. We have over 200 uh, co-sponsors in the House. But, you know, if this doesn't happen, uh, a lot of people are going to lose access to uh, financial aid uh, that otherwise, you know, may not be able to go to college without it. I'm one of those people. That's why I watch these issues really close. If it wasn't for uh, grants and loans, I never could have gone to college. I worked throughout. I never did a spring break. Um, and uh, I, I get really nervous about programs like this. So Perkins Loans is another thing that hasn't gotten attention, but we need to be calling our members of Congress on. Is that a program that requires con that, that requires congressional reauthorization for funding? Is that is that what it is, or even the, the entire program itself? 
Yeah, it's the reauthorization because we two years ago we did a reauthorization and Lamar Alexander held it up in the Senate for a few months and we lost the ability to give loans to grad students. So we still have it for undergrad students, but you know, if they uh, keep at the pace they've been going, this is a program that could go away and it's extremely important to um, anyone who's smart enough and capable enough to go to higher education but can't afford it. We need to keep this program in place. Yeah, remarkable, remarkable. Congressman Mark Pokian, Midday with Mark, taking your calls right after this. And uh, welcome back. Horace in High Point, North Carolina. You are on the air. Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congressman Mark Pokian. Uh, I have two things to say. I don't know if this is correct or not, but I think that the Democrats can get on the floor and speak for a certain amount of hours and to prolong it until the time runs out. And also, if they're trying to promote a bill this grievous, why aren't they taking the same health care that they're trying to offer to the majority of the people? Thank you for listening to my comment. Yeah, thank you, Horace. So on the first question, I'm going to give, I think, Bernie's old answer. I'm not entirely familiar with all the rules of the Senate and uh, whether or not there is an ability to. I haven't seen much of that in the news, and I think that would have been mentioned if it was a possibility, but I'm sorry I can't answer that. To the, to the second question, you know, currently, and, and a lot of people don't know this, um, we, the only people required by law to have uh, coverage under the Affordable Care Act are members of Congress. So we're all uh, in that plan, which is a really good plan, and I'm very happy about the coverage I have. Uh, what you know, for them, let, let's remember over uh, half of Congress are millionaires, um, and you know the typical cost of what health insurance might be isn't going to mean as much to uh, many of them. So I think they look at it uh, differently. And since so many people really don't represent their constituents, they represent the special interests uh, far more effectively. Uh, that that's what they're doing in this case. And, you know, we saw the Koch brothers uh, supposedly recently, um, you know, there's some comments that uh, it sounds like they are really trying to push this and make sure it gets done. Uh, that's the people that they're dancing to their tune rather than their actual constituents. So um, the, I, I think the, the question I would have, Horace, is if this is such a great idea, where is their press conferences nationally with patients and doctors and hospital professionals all saying this is a great way to expand and cover people in America? No one can do that. It's uh, the complete opposite, and that should tell you how bad they're building. Yeah, yesterday, uh, we, we have about a minute and 15 seconds before the break here. Yesterday, I, I, on, this, on this program, I read the list of physicians' agencies that are opposed to this. The American Hospital Association, the, the, the uh, I don't recall if it was the AMA specifically, I think it was the AMA Action Fund, um, AARP. I, mean, just, I don't know of any group that's not a you know, right-wing ideologue group. We had a guy on yesterday who was one of these you know, uh, right-wing uh, alternatives for, for the AARP kind of groups. But it's really not an AARP group. It's just really right-wing propaganda aimed at people over 50. Um, do you know of any actual rational, or not rational, legitimate medical groups that are supportive of Graham Cassidy? No, exactly. I don't. In fact, even insurance companies are against this because they see what's going to happen. You go back to the bad old days, and that didn't work especially well for them either. So this is a, a, a complete solution without anyone actually proposing it who works in the industry. This is just for the Republicans to get rid of the Obamacare and to start tax reform for their wealthy benefactors. Yeah. And the tax reform aspect of this is not being discussed in the media at all. I mean, before it was like, yeah, we're going to give a, you know, a giant tax break to the billionaires. Um, uh, it's the, the, the reporting on this is so different. It's really quite stark. It's quite, quite remarkable. Cars and Mark Pokian taking your calls here on the Tom Hartman program. Stick around. We'll be right back. It's Midday with Mark. It's our, uh, our hour-long program here where Congressman Mark Pokan is taking your calls. And uh, Greg in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Am I saying it right, Greg? Yes, Manitowoc. You're on the air with Congressman Pokan. Yes, I had a question about the Foxconn deal. Um, <laughs> where, where are Republicans getting these numbers on uh, the uh, number of workers that this uh, place is supposed to employ? 
Yeah, so uh, Greg, so if I can, Tom, you know, this is something I can, it's got national news because it's the largest subsidy, I think, ever in any state to a multinational corporation to mm-hmm. incentive. This is a, a $3 billion, a billion with a B, subsidy to a multinational corporation um, that has been saying uh, they're going to produce uh, 3,000 jobs uh, and uh, aspirationally up to 13,000 jobs. Uh, so, Greg, what I think it, what you're pointing out is one of my pet peeves is Scott Walker keeps getting away with saying 13,000 jobs, and he's doing the math dividing by what that costs per job, and he's talking about everything else, and the media has been saying up to 13,000 jobs. But the reality is the CEO of Foxconn is saying 3,000 jobs, and I think by the time this actually happens, it could be less than that because I think they'll be putting in more robot technology and other things, and it's going to be the biggest boondoggle we've seen in any uh, state. And I guarantee up in Manitowoc, no one is going to see a dime of benefit from what's happening with something on the state line border with Illinois, where many of those people are going to be working um, there and living in Illinois. And uh, maybe a few people in the immediate area will see a benefit, but they're not going to see it in Manitowoc or Green Bay or Superior or Madison or a whole lot of other places. Remarkable. Bill in uh, Midlothian, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Oh, yes, sir. Thank, uh, I'll thank you all both for taking my call. What I, I called to ask about, there was an editorial today in the Richmond newspaper that's actually ironically owned by Warren Buffett, and it brought up some points and counterpoints on both sides of this issue about the health care, and I just want to see if I can get an opinion on it one way or the other. Uh, the, the overall tone of the conversation was both parties need to get the cost curve down. On the, on the medical side of the thing, on the doctor, hospital, et cetera side, because if that doesn't happen, um, it's not going to make a difference what kind of plan you go into unless you can set prices. But the point they brought up that intrigued me, and this is what I want to ask, the insurance companies are upset about or talking about this plan, but the the fill of... Um, State Corporation Commission in Virginia said the reason they are is because of these block grants. They're concerned that money that goes to the big states, i.e. California, New York, that they could take this money and they could finally finance their own single-payer plan. You, you know, it's not because they're nice guys, because I haven't heard anybody say the insurance industry were nice guys. Oh, is that a valid point, the way this money goes out? Um, I mean, potentially it's up to each state to how they would cover it. The problem is they're going to be having less money to use, especially in some of those bigger states, than they currently have for health care. So right off the bat, there's going to be a crunch created because it's less dollars going out by the way they're doing the block grants. But but secondly, I, I just want to go to your earlier point. You know, when it comes to uh, you know holding that cost curve down, that's what the Affordable Care Act did. And until the last year when there was a little bit of a spike after many years of holding those costs flat, you know, a lot of that was due to prescription drug prices. And that's something that many of us are still trying to go after those companies. They've been, in many ways, some companies extremely parasitic in how they operate their so-called business model. Uh, So, you know, I agree that there's things that we should be able to do to address the cost curve, but that and that alone is not going to be at all comparable to if you don't have insurance or if because you have a pre-existing condition, a heart uh, problem, like the five-year-old child who was doing a press conference with me yesterday, if suddenly it's 50000 more in order to be covered, they're likely not going to be covered, and that's going to affect them negatively, and then you're going to have somehow someone's still going to have to pay for the cost. It's not like he's not going to have a heart surgery, and I think that's why you see some of these other people opposing this plan. Congressman, one of the uh, big pieces of that cost curve is, is pharmaceuticals, and um, Medicare Part D, as negotiated by Billy Towson and his Republican buddies, uh, makes it illegal for the federal government to negotiate drug prices with the pharmaceutical companies. So we're all paying through Medicare, uh, you know, full retail price for drugs, which is obscene. And and you know, and plus there's the uh, the the, re- the importation of drugs. Uh, most of the drugs people take are not even made in the United States, but it's illegal to import them from a pharmacy in Canada, which is crazy. Um, are you hearing any talk about changing either one of those policies? Um, so the only thing I have heard when the director of the FDA became before my subcommittee on appropriations, he was pretty, um, and said some positive things around generic drugs and trying to get more things uh, produced when they're eligible to be generic quicker. 
But a lot of these issues, you know, the pharmaceutical lobby is so unbelievably uh, prominent in Washington. It's going to be hard to have, hard to see that happen. I mean, you know, I look at just uh, was it two weeks ago a new drug, a promising drug on childhood leukemia came out, four hundred seventy-six thousand dollars a dose, and they did it with NIH research. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new next X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent at my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I've been. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep getting, having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in the day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for you, just for my listeners. The makers of X-Chair want you to feel the X-Chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com right now, that's the letter xchairtom, T-H-O-M, dot com. Not only will they knock $100 off the price, they'll even throw a free foot rest if you use the promo code TOM. Just go to xchairtom.com right now, xchairtom.com. I love my X-Chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom. Dot com right now. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. And on the line with us is Congressman Mark Pocan. It's midday with Mark. Congressman Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, representing the 2nd District of Wisconsin. Pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. And Margie in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning. My understanding is the S-CHIP program runs out at the end of this month. What is being this done? This is the Children's sure Health Insurance Program. The, the um, Medicaid for Children? What is no, I was just clarifying for people who didn't know what S-CHIP, yeah. Go ahead. Um, what is being done to ensure that this program continues? Yeah, Margie, um, uh, thanks for calling in from Wisconsin. Um, I, I do know the Senate, uh, there were there was, I thought, a deal that they had come around to on this that should be coming before us uh, next week. Um, however, with all the other health care stuff, I, I, you know, I'm a little concerned what else they might use as bargaining chips because already they're trying to do whatever they can to get the additional votes they need for uh, the uh, Graham, um, Cassidy, Heller, Johnson uh, bill, although really we should just call it Trump Care because it's the newest version of Trump Care, the president supporting it. So uh, we're, I, I do think that uh, as of right now, it's in decent shape um, as far as what I heard coming out of the Senate. But uh, again, I, I would watch it very closely through this next week given what's uh, moving on health care. Mm-hmm. David in Loves Park, Illinois, you're on the air with Congress in Pocan. Yeah, hello. Hold on, let me get you off a speakerphone. Hi, uh, Tom and uh, Congressman. Uh, I am calling to uh, uh, say uh, thank you for taking over where Bernie was unable to anymore. Uh, I think it's great. Um, and we're, anyways, uh, I wanted to just say that because of you, Tom, and Bernie, and now even you, Congressman Polkan, I've decided I'm running for the state representative district of 68 here in the state of Illinois. Oh, that's great, David. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, um, when I was in Massachusetts and when I've gone to Barbara Lee's district in California and across the country, I've got to tell you what you're saying about Tom's program, I hear over and over. You know, a lot of people, this is a way to connect people so they know uh, what's moving through Congress, what to be moving on to make sure we're responding to, to be effective. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that we have this uh, ability to have the conversation weekly, and I, I do everything I can to make it happen, even if we have to move it a day. It's very, very important. And congratulations on running for office. You know, this is one of the things we're finding a lot of people uh, are running for office right now, and there's going to be a lot of primaries, I think, in all these uh, offices as well, because there's a lot of interest, and that's perfect, right? We need uh, a representative democracy. We need people uh, who really represent uh, average people running for office, which all too often doesn't happen. So congratulations on that, and um, again, just from my travels around the country, Tom, uh, people love having this sort of a venue. That's great. Thank you. David, just real quickly, do you have a website you want to plug? Well, I, well, yes, uh, I'm just going to go with that. It's www.sol, S-O-L-L, and then the number four, and then all, A-L-L.com. So, sol4all.com. Okay, 
and yeah, no, I and, and you know, if, and if there's anyone from Justice Democrats listening, I could certainly use their help too. <laughs> okay, David, thanks a lot for the call. Jim in San Diego, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Jim? Okay, let's try Paul in Detroit, Michigan. Paul, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi. Hello, Congressman and Tom. Um, Tom, I'm sorry, Congressman, this question is not really driven on policy. It's just uh, your coping techniques. Um, Tom does a very good job on his shows how uh, pointing out that sometimes facts are stated by members of the other side, which... Uh, you know, first glance seem reasonable, and then you realize how much deception is involved. I was just wondering, what are your coping mechanisms, either public or personal, when you're confronted with really blatant dishonesty? As I, I personally seem to be hearing it more and more nowadays, and they're not, they're not even subtle about it. And I, I know that Congress does have decorum rules on not calling anyone out uh, in public, but it just seems to me that. Uh, you probably face this on a regular basis, and I'm just curious, how do you deal with it? You know, Paul, that's a very interesting question, and i got to admit, this year, um, you know, I've been doing uh, this for 23 years. I was in local government, state government for 14 years, and now my third term in Congress. And, you know, I know you're going to have disagreements with people, and you try to bring them on board on your uh, thoughts, and you try to unite people around values. And since 2010, it's been difficult. Uh, this year is just a whole new level. Um, you know, Donald Trump and his administration has uh, just lowered that bar. And quite honestly, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell have been uh, even more um, depressing than normal. Uh, Paul Ryan has, you know, basically acquiesced his, uh, his role as House Speaker of the House and decided to be, you know, the president's uh, little puppy who uh, rolls over and gets his belly rubbed and does what he's told to. And I think the way I've uh, coped with it is, you know, I've decided that some of the niceties that used to happen don't need to happen in the same way. And, you know, we're, we're, we're really rely on being nice in the upper Midwest. But, you know, I've done four town halls in Paul Ryan's district this year. If he won't listen to his own constituents, he hasn't done a public town hall in over 690 days. Um, and he wrote a health care bill that's going to cost 20 million people their health care. Someone should explain it to the people who elected him. Uh, so I've gone in and done that four times. So I think, you know, just getting out there and being the truth teller and finding out how to put out those actual facts uh, has been my best way to cope with it. But thanks for that question. Carol in Manesson, Pennsylvania. Carol, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Good afternoon, Congressman. I enjoy your show very much. I think both of you should be on all the networks every day, but that's just my opinion. Um, I have a question for you that maybe you can explain in a way that the average person can understand. I don't, I don't get how they are working the math in this bill, this so-called health care bill, so that it will actually provide a, a big bonus for the very, very wealthy people. Could you explain that in a way that I could understand it? And I'll just hang up and listen. Sure. So a part of it is I think you've got Koch brothers and others who just want to reform the system. They want to bring it back to a complete uh, for-profit system and um, you know where there's winners and losers, and they're the winners uh, on the bottom line of how it works. I, let me address something you, you mentioned. I think it's been a, one of the main things they're saying about this bill, and I think it's really important because the semantics are important on this, Carol, is you know they say that this will lower costs. Now, this is what it means to say when you lower costs. Conceivably, if a state decides to get rid of pre-existing condition requirements or um, something else, or just that you can now charge people who might have a pre-existing condition more money, what they're arguing is if you charge someone with a heart disease 50000 more for their coverage, that ultimately you'll be able to lower the price of coverage for someone who's 21 with nothing wrong with them. And that's where they're saying there's lowered costs. So, you know, arguably you will lower the cost for a very tiny percent of people, uh, but you'll increase the cost significantly to the point that people won't have health care for many, many more. And, and that's the, the kind of math in the bill that I look at that I think it's significant is this kind of false uh, narrative about a lowering cost. It lowers the cost for a very, very, very small amount of people. And for everyone else, it has potential to cost you out of the market. And then if you have to go to the emergency room, that costs the hospital and that costs others and winds up everyone else pays the bill, but, uh, you know, where it should be covered. So I, I hope that helps out, Carol, but I think that's the math to really, you know, put the, the pinpoint on. 
Are they still talking about with uh, repealing that uh, roughly 3% uh, surcharge on capital gains to help pay for Obamacare? Well, they're talking about uh, the medical device fee for sure. This is one of the very interesting mm-hmm. things, Tom, I have found. I have tried to find out wh- what it does to some of the tax breaks that were in the original bill, and I can't even find it by doing some searches. I tried the other day because uh, we had a, a press conference. It, because you don't... And you're a member of Congress. I know, and because we don't have a CBO score, we will maybe never have all the information before people are voting on this. So I would say at minimum, you know, uh, there should be anyone who votes yes on this should have to pass a test and get at least 90% right on what's in the bill, because I think most people would probably get about 30% right. And uh, that shows why trying to get this done at breakneck speed, uh, because they've stealthily hid this to, to get it done for the September 3rd deadline is such a problem, and why people need to call now to stop this. Yeah, I just I just missed a time cue from Troy. Where when I'm on the road, we have to use hard brakes. Uh, Troy, how much time do we have? Oh, we got a, we got a minute and ten seconds. Uh, Stanley, can you ask a real quick question? Stanley in Chino Valley, Arizona. Uh, good morning, uh, Tom and and Congressman uh, Pocan. I do have a very quick question, uh, Tom. You mentioned perhaps uh, two months ago on the air that you and Louise preferred a Medicare plan with some sort of an additional uh, plan with it. And my wife and I are considering dumping our present insurance. Do you, can you tell me what that was? Yeah, the, the difference is uh, Medicare with a uh, Medigap program, you know, with a fill in the gaps with Medigap versus Medicare Plus. Congressman, you want to speak to those, those, your thoughts on those two things? Um, you know, I... I think aspirationally, you know, we've got the Medicare for All bill out there. Right now what we need to do is make sure that we're shoring up the Affordable Care Act. Um, I think there are different options. People can go for their unique condition. What I'm trying to focus on is how we just make sure the the largest number of people are covered uh, with affordable, accessible health care. Yeah, okay. And to to the caller's question specifically, I was just saying personally for myself when when I went on Medicare and when I did all the research on what kind of plans were out there, um, it looked to me like the Medic- Medicare Plus is really just privatizing your Medicare and turning that over to one of the big insurance companies, whereas Medigap, uh, the Medigap policies let you stay on Medicare Plus, you, you know, fills in those 20%. So that's, that's what uh, Louise and I chose to do. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. It's Midday with Mark here on the Tom Hartman Program. Stick around. And welcome back. James, watching Free Speech TV on DirecTV in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. You are on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Hi, Congressman. Uh, the question I have is, uh, or to comment, is about um, this morning I was listening to the Morning Joe show, and they were talking about the uh, town hall meeting coming up Monday night that Bernie Sanders is going to have with uh, uh, Graham and uh, uh Cassidy. The other guy that, yeah, Cassidy, Graham and Cassidy, and that by him having this uh, town hall meeting with them, they will be playing into their hands uh, because they'll be taking the focus away from the uh, pitfall of their health care bill when uh, Bernie's talking about uh, Medicare for all. Uh, would you like to comment on that? Uh, sure, James. So I'm, I'm not familiar with the town hall, but if it's as you're presenting, he's going to be there with uh, Lindsey Graham and Senator Cassidy. Uh, you know, Bernie's a very smart, savvy guy, and while he will certainly promote why we should have a, a Medicare for All system, I think he's going to do his very best to point out why no senator should vote for Graham Cassidy. That will hurt people in their own districts, and he'll explain the many ways that it's going to hurt people and have potential to hurt people and who really benefits from it. So, you know, for me, anything we can do to raise attention on this, and especially with someone as savvy as Bernie, I can only think it's going to turn out well. Dave in uh, Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Mark. Hi, Dave. Are you there? Uh, I am. From my old home state. Um, I'm wondering why we can't get more people in Congress on this uh, progressive caucus list. I, last I checked, there's a total of 75 and only one senator. Are we making some efforts in that area? 
sure, Dave. Uh, no, great question. I mean, first of all, this is a, a high number for us uh, as far as members, especially in the House. The Senate, we never really had members previously, and only because when Bernie went to the Senate, he stayed uh, a member. I don't think there's been a lot of efforts to increase Senate membership, but on the House side, you know, I'll be real honest, Dave, we're actually running into a different problem, is that it's pretty fashionable right now to be a progressive, and there have been some members who, I would argue, voting records um, maybe aren't the most progressive who are interested in becoming members to uh, maybe avoid uh, primary challenges or um, uh, try to maybe distort their records a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I think our bigger dilemma we have is we want to make sure the Progressive Caucus stands for something, that when we put a, a bill out there that our members are sponsoring it and that we're having a unified voice. So we are at a, at a high with 75 members, which is the largest values-based caucus, bigger than the New Dems or certainly bigger than the Blue Dogs. But we're actually starting to run into into a little bit of a different dilemma, which is, do you just want to be, you know, if you want to be 130 members, you could, but you may not stand for anything anymore. And I think uh, we actually are having this internal conversation. That's, you know, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches. That's, that's, that's great. How, by the way, the, 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 one of the things that I think is one of the most important things that the Congressional Progressive Caucus does uh, every year or every two years is submit a uh, budget. And, um, well, we're running out of time. And welcome back, Congressman Mark Pocan, on the line, taking your calls. And Joe in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Joe, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom and Congressman. I do. Ha I uh, my original thing was a call about Chip because I was a little worried about nine million kids are at risk there, plus mothers. And I, uh, what was going on? You gave sort of an answer, so <laughs> we'll just have to wait on that and hope that works out. But I do have another thing for you. Axios has an article called Analysis State Senate's Health Care Costs Could Top $4 trillion. Cuts. I'm sorry, not cuts. And within that article, they have a link to Avalair Health Consulting. And that was um, funded by the Center for American Progress. And it goes into quite, quite some detail on who's going to win, who's going to lose. Do you have any um, comment on that? Yeah, you know, Joseph, where I, the states... I haven't seen that particular uh, study, but, you know, clearly I think um, we all know uh, that health care costs uh, are uh, something that we have to be controlling, and a big part of the Affordable Care Act was controlling uh, many of the costs. I think the pharmaceutical industry was probably the most uh, brazen in being the first uh, major violators of that. But if you go back to the old system, you will have costs going up, and I guarantee everyone's rates are going to go up. Um, if you start having it so that people have to go to emergency rooms and don't have coverage, someone's got to pay for that, and that falls on the hospitals, and that's going to fall on costs. You're going to have this huge escalation once again. It's just basic economics 101. So, you know, I think uh, while some people are trying to say that this is going to reduce the price of premiums, again, I think I, I tried to explain that that's going to be for a very, very small amount of people. Maybe if you're young and healthy, uh, you'll pay less. But for anyone who actually needs health care, who has any pre-existing condition, uh, it could very likely price you out of the market. Yeah, and the, I, it would, the study he was referring to we talked about yesterday on the program showed that uh, California and New York, is the, basically the, the blue Democratic states that implemented uh, a full Medicare ex Medicaid expansion will, will lose billions, tens of billions of dollars. And states like te Texas in particular was one of the big winners, will gain billions of dollars uh, because basically what this bill does is it, you know, it... it it, it, uh, the red states will begin accepting federal money, and they're going to cut back the federal money overall to, to, to all the states, which would be all the blue states that took those expansions. That's, that's um, Yeah, and, Tom, and that's um, absolutely correct. What will happen also, uh, that's, you know, again, a private-funded study uh, that's trying to say states like Wisconsin, actually, because Scott Walker didn't expand Medicaid, will see a benefit actuarially, although not a benefit to the people. But then we've seen other studies saying that actually it'll still cost Wisconsin money. So that's part of why we need a CBO score, because uh, a privately paid study by someone who has an interest in this is probably not the best study for us to be voting on a complete reform of one-sixth of the national economy. Uh, Dick in Billings, Montana. Hey, Dick, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. 
Good morning. How are you? Let me take you off speakerphone. So a question is, um, if to go down the road towards single payer, shouldn't we get rid of the business deductions for healthcare costs? Um, so, Dick, I don't know if you know uh, putting a squeeze on businesses who you know are providing health insurance is going to get us closer to single payer. I, I think ultimately that might cost some businesses from providing health insurance, and then that will hurt people uh, who are out there uh, not having policies. I think what we do is is it aspirationally. You know, if people are tired of a ongoing, never-ending debate on health care, and uh, they know someone close to them who's got a pre-existing condition or, um, you know, one of the essential health benefits, uh, mental health coverage or something else they could lose, you know, this doesn't make sense that we have this ongoing fight and people don't know literally from month to month, year to year, whether or not they have health insurance. I think that's what Barack Obama uh, brought up this past week is that, you know, when you have a never-ending changes to health care, uh, there's no continuity whatsoever, and that alone is a strong argument. And previously, Tom and I have talked about why it's advantageous to businesses to have a single-payer system, uh, because they could save money. Uh, cars alone, uh, they say the price of steel in an American car is uh, less than the health insurance cost. So uh, there's a lot of other ways I think we could promote single-payer without doing anything that might have any damage potentially. Congressman, in the last uh, little less than a minute of, the, of this hour, uh, what should we be watching in the upcoming week here? You know, I think we have to watch what deals they try to cut in order to do this health care. I know there's a, right now there's a report about uh, exempting um, Alaska from this, allowing them to still have the Affordable Care Act to try to get Murkowski. Uh, we have to watch what deals they'll cut, how desperate they are to get this done by September 30th, uh, and then put a lot of pressure on people to not accept those deals. Right, and keep... And people should continue to call their members of Congress and 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 basically all of these, uh, shall we say, vulnerable Republicans or swingable Republicans, you know, well, Collins, Murkowski. Call, call your members of Congress and then uh, work with Indivisible where they can hook you up into people's districts to convince someone maybe in uh, Oklahoma to call their legislator in Oklahoma. If you live in a district where your member of Congress and senators maybe are supporting you, you can still uh, be impactful and get calls delivered to people who need to get the calls. But Indivisible is one of those groups doing that. That's great. Congressman Pokian, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find, to find the uh, best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. And their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through that site within one day. No juggling emails or calls to your office. You simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place right on your computer with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, you, my listeners, can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Hartman. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Hartman. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Hartman. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you uh, live from Portland, Oregon. And the the whole situation around Equifax and and this hack and all this kind of stuff raises some really, really big issues. And the main one is the increasing uh, tendency on the part of Tennessee business model of large corporations to turn you and me into the product. And then, in many cases, sell it to us, you know, sell, sell ourselves to back to us, as it were. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we, you see this increasingly if you go on, uh, you know, if you, if you uh, search, if you go on a search engine and you look for something and then suddenly you start seeing ads for that. Or even if you get an email about something and you start seeing ads for it, if you're using, you know, one of the email services from one of the companies that has a search engine, um, I mean, this is not limited to Google. This is, this is happening with, with uh, some of the other ones as well. Um, but, the, but the credit thing is a particularly interesting one. 
I remember back in the 1970s, I started a, uh, Terry O'Connor, my business partner and I started a company, uh, the, the, the Woodley Herber Company, and then we had an ad agency called Terry Graphics. This was in 72. And we wanted to be able to uh, buy equipment. We, we ultimately had a, it was an herbal tea company, and we ultimately had 18 employees in a little factory in Okemos, Michigan, in the old uh, R.E. Oles Mansion, which at that point was just kind of a falling down giant old house, but it worked fine for us. And in order to buy equipment, uh, you know, leasing it, that sort of thing, you had to have good credit. And the way that you had good credit back in the 70s, keep in mind, again, this was before the Reagan era of, you know, massive deregulation of banking and things. Um, pretty much everything was done through Dun & Bradstreet, D&B. And so you call up a company and say, hey, I'd like to get a copy machine or, you know, we need a, we need a mixing uh, uh, contraption, you know, the, you know for, the, for the herbs or whatever. And uh, so, you know, we'd like to, you know, lease a $5,000 piece of equipment or whatever. And they would say, well, what's your DNB number? And you'd say, oh, it's 23-149722 or whatever. And they would immediately look it up because you gave them your number. And now that they have your number and, and they have your permission, they would contact Don Bradstreet and say, you know, what's this guy's credit history or what's the company's credit history? And these were, you know, essentially sole proprietorships and partnerships. So it was our personal stuff as well as our business stuff. And, and DNB would give you a rating and, and they would convey that rating to people. And that seems like the way it should be, right? Uh, you know, in fact, for us to get that DNB number, we had to be in business over, uh, as I recall, a year, maybe it was two years, and we had to do a certain level of business. And I mean, it was, you had to, I had to, I, I went through this myself personally. This is, um, this is a personal, personal experience. Had to contact Dun & Bradstreet, say, we would like to have you rate our credit. We would like to be rated by Dun & Bradstreet. Um, I don't recall if we paid a fee for it or not. I, my recollection vaguely is that there was a, an application fee to be rated by Dun & Bradstreet. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly where the money flowed on that. I think also when companies asked them for my credit information, once I gave them my, my number, they would also have to pay DNB. So, you know, there was a way to make money here. But what has happened now with Experian and Equifax and, and uh, uh, Trans, whatever it is, the, the, third, uh, the third company, uh, Transamerica, I think, um, with these big, these three giant uh, rating companies, credit rating companies, is they have just reached out to all of the, you know, the financial agencies, the credit card companies, the banks, and everybody else, the mortgage companies, and gotten all our information. Without our saying, please do it, without our asking for it, without our giving them permission to do it, they have acquired all this information, and not all of it is publicly available. This isn't like, you know, compiling voter records where that information is publicly available. Um, you know, you have to, if somebody wants to know, you know, my activity with my bank or with my, you know, whatever it may be, my mortgage or whatever, um, you know, they have to contact the, my banker and, and get that information. And I've never had a credit card, uh, you know, a credit reporting company contact me, call me, email me or anything and say, you know, may we have your permission to uh, to know, you know, what's in your checking account or what your credit card uh, line of credit is or whatever. You know, it's they don't they don't ask you for that permission. They simply go out and get your information and then they sell your information. And it's a big business. And we are the product. And we never consented to this. And, and if you don't want them to pass your information out to people or actually sell your information to people, if you don't want them to, you have to do what's called a credit freeze and you have to pay them to freeze your credit. And, and, and then it's only good for, you know, how, it depends on how long you pay for, but typically at the most one year. You know, you can't call up one of these companies and say, you know, I just like to go off the grid. You know, I don't I, I, I'm at a point in my life where, you know, I'm not using credit or I, what I'm using right now is just fine. My mortgage is there. My credit cards are there. Everything is solid. Just erase me from your records. You can't do that. And why the heck not? So 
I think that there's a, a really strong case to be made for us to re-examine the entire business model of American citizens being the product that is being sold. Whether it is Facebook looking at all of every like you've ever liked and concluding that, uh, you know, you, you have a, a, uh, a preference for, for uh, vegetarian food and uh, you like, uh, you know, pictures of rainbows and you tend to, to follow Democratic politicians. And I mean, they've, they've got this down to they can literally say, you know, people who are more likely to be depressed, people who are more likely to the, the latest scandal with Facebook was was, uh, you know, somebody said, hey, I want to I want to place an ad that goes to people who hate Jews. And they were like, sure, here's here's a list. <laughs> Give us the money. We'll put the ad there. Say what? Hate Jews? Really? This is I mean, this actually happened just last week. So you've got, you know, Facebook is selling us. Google is selling us. Microsoft, you know, the Bing search engines, they're selling us. The big three credit agencies and a bunch of smaller ones are selling us. You can bet your bottom dollar that your bank is selling you. Uh, if you have credit cards with, with uh, you know, gas companies, gasoline companies, or with uh, department stores, things like that, they're selling your information. We have become the product. And, you know, I realize that the Fourth Amendment, you know, which guarantees our right to privacy, our, you know, of, uh, you know, in our person's papers and effects uh, and, and residence, um, I, I realize that the Fourth Amendment is a protection of a right to privacy being, you know, to prevent that right to privacy from being violated by the government. The Fourth Amendment does not give you the right not to have your privacy violated. It, do, it does not say that you can be protected from privacy violations by private corporations, only by government. But law can be made and has been made in the past and unmade and made and unmade that does provide you with privacy protections. And I think this, this whole Experian um, uh, hack and now, you know, the criminal investigation into it and everything and the whole, the whole media thing about it is... You know, how's it going to affect the company? Or was there an executive who behaved criminally? Nobody's even asking the question, is this whole business model idea of selling us, you and me, we are the product that are being sold to everybody from, from you know, politicians to, to soap manufacturers, it, shouldn't there be some regulation of that? Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. The breaking news is that John McCain has just come out and said no to the uh, Graham Cassidy uh, Heller Johnson bill. And I think it's important to keep the Heller Johnson in there because Dean Heller of Nevada and Ron Johnson of Wisconsin are both running for reelection and they both put their names on this bill. It's Lindsey Graham. And I, yeah, well, it, that, that's the whole thing, right? And, and Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, and Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, and, and then, you know, uh, uh, Johnson and, and, and whatnot. And this, this, now that McCain has said no, and just uh, a few hours ago, Susan Collins on television said she's inclined to vote no, which, you know, Susan Collins is a rather underspoken or understated person, right? She's a soft-spoken, she's a, a very competent and, and uh, tough legislator, uh, a, a statesperson, not one I always agree with, but probably one of the few left in the Republican Party. So you got Rand Paul who opposes it because it doesn't just destroy all health care for everybody. Rand Paul doesn't think that anybody in America should have health care if the government makes it better or, or provides it. He thinks that everyone should have to, quote, rely on themselves. Um, you know, that's the libertarian religion, right? I mean, that's the religion that he was born into, and it's the religion that he's continuing to follow. Uh, so you've got him. He hates it from the right. And now Susan Collins and John McCain, if that holds, this bill is not going to pass. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't 
continue to call because we don't have a definite no from Susan Collins. Maybe the thing to do would be to tweet Susan Collins and John McCain and say thank you for opposing this this disaster of a piece of legislation. Um, you know, thank you for that. I wanted to talk about North Korea a little bit too, and then uh, and then I'll pick up your calls. It being anything goes Friday, but. Uh, the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, issued a statement in response to Donald Trump's U.N. speech in which he called him Rocket Man and said that he was on a suicide mission. I talked about this, I think it was day before yesterday, uh, at some length about the idea that North Korea is not evangelical, uh, whereas the, the old Soviet communists were aggressively evangelical, you know, turned the entire world into us. Uh, Nazis, the Nazism, you know, was extremely evangelical. The Americanism is extremely evangelical. Um, many, many of these, you know, and, and this is just, you know, political evangelism. Um, but North Korea has basically just been saying, you know, leave us alone and let us be a functioning country. So, you know, there is one school of thought that says that Kim is a crazy man who wants to start a war. I don't believe that. I don't subscribe to that. I, Kim, I mean, why would he want to do that? He's, he's living a life of luxury. He's got all his wealth and power. Um, he doesn't want his country to be leveled. The destruction of North Korea during the Korean War in the, in the uh, you know, around 1950 was unbelievable. I mean, it was just uh, Pyongyang, the, the capital city, was more than 90% destroyed. It was just extraordinary. And he doesn't want to go back to that. Uh, he doesn't want that. What he's trying to do is prevent his country from being Iraq. You know, George, this all goes back to George W. Bush and that stupid speech that David Frum wrote for him in which he called North Korea, Iran, and Iraq the axis of evil. And... You know, Iraq, uh, Saddam Hussein said, hey, I'm not evil. Bring in your inspectors. Send in Hans Blix. Everything's fine. I got no weapons of mass destruction. It's all good. We're, we're going to be a nice neighbor. And, you know, of course, we killed him. And so Iran and North Korea looking at that said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> we're not going to let that happen to us. And we got to get a nuke. And so we've got now this deal with Iran to freeze their nuke, and North Korea, of course, is building their nuke. But I think it's important that we actually listen to what Kim Jong-un has to say. And I realize that that kind of thoughtful um, uh, analysis of what's going on in the world is not popular generally in American journalism or American popular media, that it's, uh, people would much rather make fun of Kim or uh, ridicule him or whatever. But, I, but there's... Some serious stuff here. And so I just, I, I just wanted to share with you the actual speech that, that Kim Jong-un wrote or spoke. This is just, just so you know, right? Because the media is not going to tell you. The, uh, he said, the speech made by the U.S. president in his maiden address on the U.N. arena in the prevailing serious circumstances in which the situation in the Korean Peninsula has been rendered tense as never before and is inching cl closer to a touch-and-go state, is arousing worldwide concern. Shaping the general idea of what he would say, I expected, now keep in mind, this is Kim Jong-un talking about Donald Trump's speech at the UN. Shaping the general idea of what he would say, I expected he would make stereotyped, prepared remarks a little a little different from what he used to utter in his office on the spur of the moment as he had to speak on the world's biggest official diplomatic stage. But far from making remarks of any persuasive power that could be viewed to be helpful by diffusing detention, he made unprecedented, rude nonsense no one has ever heard from any of his predecessors. A frightened dog barks louder. I would like to, con to advise Trump to exercise prudence in selecting words, and to be considerate of whom he speaks to when making a speech in front of the world. See, as I keep saying, what they want is safety and respect, essentially. Back to Kim. Back to what Kim had to say. The mentally deranged behavior of the U.S. president openly expressing on the U.N. arena the unethical will to, quote, totally destroy a sovereign state 
Beyond the boundary of threats of regime change or overturn of social system makes even those with normal thinking faculty think about discretion and composure. His remarks remind me of such words as political layman and political heretic, which were in vogue in reference to Trump during his presidential election campaign. After taking office, though, Trump has rendered the the world restless through threats and blackmail against all countries of the world. He is unfit to hold the prerogative of supreme command of a country, and he is surely a rogue and a gangster, fond of playing with fire rather than a politician. His remarks, which describe the U.S. option through straightforward expression of his will, have convinced me, rather than frightening or stopping me, that the path I chose is correct and that it is the one I will have to follow to the last. Now that Trump has denied the existence of and insulted me and my country, keep in mind Trump did not say Kim Jong-un, he said rocket man. Now that Trump has denied the existence of and insulted me and my country in front of the eyes of the world and made the most ferocious declaration of a war in history, that he would destroy the DPRK, North Korea, we will consider with seriousness exercising of a corresponding highest level of hardline countermeasure, the highest level of hardline countermeasure in history. Action is the best option in treating a dotard who, hard of hearing, is uttering only what he wants to say. As a man representing North Korea and on behalf of the dignity and honor of my state and people and of my own, I will make the man holding the prerogative of the Supreme Command of the U.S. pay dearly for his speech, calling for totally destroying my country. This is not a rhetorical expression loved by Trump. I am now thinking hard about what response he could have expected when he allowed such eccentric words to trip off his tongue. Whatever Trump might have expected, he will face results beyond his expectation. I will surely and definitely tame the mentally deranged U.S. dotard with fire. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between, plus the best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.